Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland On this episode of the podcast, we don't have a guest, just Nick and me. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, after this last primary election, felt that it was necessary to kind of go through and talk about the, the May election and kind of the fallout from that and our thoughts. And so that's what we're doing. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled guests. Eventually, once we get them all teed up. Plenty of good stuff. We're obviously going to be talking about a lot of candidates on this episode, so I'm sure we'll have some outreach emails to folks that we're going to want to If you hear your name, and give us- <laughs> james at jamesaball.com. Send us, us an email. <laughs> and we will uh, we'll see what we can do. We'll get you on. So, without further ado, um, I'm just going to go through the Secretary of State website and you know talk about what we're going to talk about. Let's jump on it. And I should mention, since we're not on YouTube for this one, James has two laptops set up in front of him, and I have nothing but a glass of wine. So this is going to be a little (laughs) bit of extemporaneous political analysis. One is for notes and one is for recording. So (laughs) anyway. Okay. So U.S. Senator Democrats, Ron Wyden, no real surprise there. Uh, No real surprise there. Is very popular. Um, The is pretty much guaranteed to run to, to re-election. I can't imagine Wyden losing unless there's some sort of like random scandal that happens. Yeah, so definitely among the top three senators from the state of New York. We're happy to have him <laughs> visit Oregon every now and again. But um, certainly However, this he is, is... He is yeah. very popular. There's really nothing... He is. And I even even in some closed door circles of, of folks on our side, I've heard people begrudgingly say, Ron Wyden's the good one. Maybe not just like, you know, at least not... I like him or something like that. But in terms of Democrats, in terms of somebody with efficacy and somebody who can get things done, somebody who's not a crazy person, he's the and good he's one. he's been around long enough. That, I mean, seniority plays such a big part in both the House mm-hmm. and the Senate. And so, Biden's been around for so long that he's got enough pull that, you know, he, he'll make statements that will make national news just for whatever reason. Merkley, I feel like, kind of doesn't do anything. Um, if you were going to take a – as a Republican, going to take a stab at – Running for senator, you know, Merkley's the one you go after, yeah. not really Wyden. So yeah. Merkley's a wingnut. He's kind of in it for himself. That's, yeah. Without, yeah, going any further down that, um, <laughs> the U.S. Senator Republican. So who's going to get rolled over by, uh, by Wyden? Old Joe. Uh, yeah. Old Joe so. herself. Joe Ray Perkins won that without even having to look. I know Joe, Joanne Perkins won that primary. It, it did end up being close and there was mm-hmm. a, a at least credible qualified candidate who was running, which I feel like is rare for somebody who's was going to lose the race by 25 points to begin with. Right. But obviously, Joe Ray Perkins, uh, not she, a f- we are not a fan of hers on this podcast. She squeezed her out. So I'm friends with Joe Ray. I will try not to talk too badly about her, but she's done some QAnon stuff and I, I – really don't like her as a candidate. I do like her as a person. So 
Well, fair know. enough. I, Joanne, if you're interested, come Joanne. on and Joe. Jo- oh, yeah. Joanne, that's the fabric Joanne. store. <laughs> Joanne is the, the other one. Uh, so anyway, the, the, who he's referring to is Darren Harvick. And Darren and I ran into each other a number of times on the campaign trail. Um, he lost to Joe Ray by about three points, 3%. So yeah. he was, he was pretty close. Joe Ray's going to win it with 33%. And Darren Harvick came in second with 30 Point seven, so actually less than three percent. Well, Darren, please run against Jeff Merkley next in two years or four years. I don't know when his seat's up. Yep. So nothing really to say about uh, Representative District One. District Two is going to go to Bents. District Three, Blumenauer, and you've got Joanne Harper uh, won her race, but again, she's just going to get blown out. One and three are pretty much they're just going to Democrats. Yeah. Two's going to Republican. Four is a bit more interesting. On the Republican side, you've got Alex Garlados who won. He was the only person who who filed. On the Democratic side, you have like 12 people. A number of <laughs> folks. Ooh, that was the, the Val Hoyle race. Though, yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And this is has the distinction of being... Oh, no. Sorry. That's the other one that's the most expensive race. So, Val Hoyle took that one away. She was the former bully. Uh, Bureau of Labor and Industries, and so she was. She was the favorite. She ended up winning with sixty-five percent of the yeah. of the vote. So that'll be interesting to see. I'm looking at total votes here, and this is something that I kind of did while I was doing my analysis: is looking at total Democratic votes versus total Republican votes as kind of like a proxy of where where the eventual race is going to go. What that doesn't count for is Republicans voting Democrat, Democrats voting Republican, non-affiliateds, and just things like in this race, you have Scarlatos who's running unopposed. So there's probably less uh, enthusiasm there, probably fewer signs. He's probably mm-hmm. saving his money for the general. Whereas on the Democratic side, you've got an empty seat with nine people running for it. So you probably have a little bit more enthusiasm. You're going to have higher turnout on the Democratic side. That being said, 88,000 people voted Democratic and 59,000 for Scarlatos. So about a 30,000 point or vote Mm -hmm. difference between the democratic and republican candidates so i feel like that's gonna be a pretty uphill battle for scarlatos unfortunately like the guy yeah yeah alec friend of the pod would love to have you back on it is a i think d plus 10 seat or something is it that high now it's yeah they they redistricted that one to be pretty pretty safe for the democrats safe for for old val yeah but that said it's a red wave year there's certainly of those eighty-eight thousand. if there's a couple folks who voted for somebody other than val and they they really like not val they just they want to vote for somebody else or navs independence anything like that so certainly doable and alec again if you're around come on by and tell us why it's a it's a winnable race and in my experience non-affiliated voters tend to vote 60 65 percent for republicans so i mean it depends on where you're at if you're in portland they vote democratic everybody sure. votes democratic but uh if in for the most part you you have a slight edge about two to one so about 33 60 you know whatever for non-affiliated voters as a Republican. So still though, that's a pretty, pretty tough hill to climb. So wish you the best, Alec. Representative District 5. So this was an interesting one where Kurt Schrader, the incumbent, lost his primary to Jamie McLeod Skinner. And it was not close. And it was not close. It was 55-45 McLeod Skinner to Kurt Schrader. And so McLeod Skinner has run for Congress before. She ran in District 2 against, against, Cliff, Bence against Cliff Bence. Before that, she ran for Secretary of State, lost to Shamia Fagan. So she's lost a couple of different races, big races. Um, but I think she 
you know, if people run for office too many times, you kind of get that stench of losing. And somehow she's been able to avoid that. And I'm, I would like to figure out how that's done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least so far. And I mean, making it through the primary is all well and good for her. And I'm certainly more than happy because I think she's a far more beatable candidate. But it's a close-ish to even a slight D, but close-ish to even district in a very good year for Republicans. And Lori Doremer, whom we'll speak about, I'm sure, in a second here, is a fantastic candidate and she's going to have a lot going for her. She's already got the support of a lot of the, you know, the, the national types of congressional folks and she's lost big races before and came through and won this primary, but we will see the verdict is still going to be out because if she can pull it out, then that's great for her. But I don't know. Well, Lori Dreamer has the, has the resume of being the mayor of happy Valley. She ran for state representative a couple of times and didn't win, but you know, I don't, always hold it against people. It's kind of like how well you ran your campaign, less than whether you won or lost, especially in these state rep races, because the way they're gerrymandered really just kind of defines who the winner is going to be. And so, um, she was able to raise a ton of money and run a fantastic campaign in both, both times she ran. So, I'm, I'm excited. I think you're right. I think, uh, Lori Dreamer has a really, really good shot at turning this, this, uh, red and taking it away from the Democrats. She was, she herself is a, I don't want to say a multiple time race loser. I, it's a factual statement, but I'll like saying that sounds like really mean. <laughs> but Lori, friend of the pod, um, well, she, she's, she's also managed to not have that, you know, kind of loser right. idea. Exactly. And you she know, came, get, she, I think it was Janelle Bynum that she ran against in yes. 2018 for a state house seat. And in 2018, first time the Democrats had a chance to vote against Donald Trump, which any, R mm-hmm. was a Donald Trump R in that race. We yeah. obviously we know that, but I she ran an incredibly great race. I, if I remember correctly, it was the first race in the state of Oregon for a state house seat that cost more than a million dollars, and ended up being a really tight race. Showed herself to be a very good candidate, and like you say, it, it's it, not necessarily That's whether you win or lose, but yeah, can you cover the spread essentially? Yeah. And she, I think, did that with a, a ton of great clout, and should be a really interesting race here for CD five. Yep. Coming in second place for CD5 was Jimmy Crumpacker, who, um, again, one of those guys who's kind of, he ran for Congress in CD2 a couple years ago, didn't win that primary, lost this primary. Uh, Jimmy doesn't really have a resume, a political resume. And I think that's his biggest flaw is he hasn't really done anything. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of support. And, you know, we listened to him. He he and Lori debated each other at Dorchester this year. And frankly, I think Jimmy won that that debate. Uh, you know, I'm team Lori all the way and I will continue to support Lori Dreamer. But I, I felt like Jimmy did a better job in that particular debate. Yeah, and I, in, I, both candidates handled themselves extremely well in that debate. I, and, but yeah, you, you listen to Jimmy Crumpacker and it's, it feels like you're listening to a congressman. And it's one of those things where he's got certainly at this point name recognition. He definitely has a lot of money. And I was, I had the chance to talk with him later that night and was certainly very impressed. I, on a, on a listeners on another podcast, The Bridge, uh, he, the introduction there featured a segment that said, 
we talked to Jimmy and one of the th- comments that he made was that he reads The Economist cover to cover and they were talking to each other and they said he sounds like a guy who reads The Economist cover to cover and he really – some of his answers yeah. in that debate veered into, well, now this is – the opposition party in Argentina is making a real run at taking power and it's just like, wow, like this is the stuff that I would expect you to have a grasp on after you get elected to Congress. Very knowledgeable. Yeah, he's in there. So, I'm I'm optimistic that he will – if I'm Jimmy, if I'm Jimmy's political team, I tell him to get – uh, I say get back here, get back to Oregon. I don't know. I just uh, assume he's in Nantucket or something somewhere. But co- come back, come back home, find a state senate seat that you want to run for, find a, a mayor yeah. of a small town, do something like that, put something on the resume so that the next time you do want to run for Congress, the next time you do want to run for governor, senator, whatever office it is, you've at least got something and you've proven to folks that you can lead, yeah. not just read The Economist. And I think that after his CD2 loss, he had enough name ID that he, if he had stayed involved the last two years, if he had gotten involved in the party, gotten involved, you know, became a PCP, something else, you know, he, this could have been a much closer race. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, when you, when you show up every two years and run for Congress and just throw a whole bunch of money at a race and you haven't actually won an election up until that point, I mean, this is, this is a, an issue up and down the ballot is people start too high. You know, if you, if it's the first thing you're running for is Congress, you're going to have a hard time. This is spoiler alert. This is going to come up again in about four <laughs> minutes when we talk about CD6. I just yes. have a hunch, but yeah. yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, and, and again, not saying anything that any of these folks we're talking about aren't qualified. I personally was extremely impressed with Jimmy Crumpacker, yeah. both during the debate and when I had the chance to speak with him later that night, but to just show up and run for Congress out of the gate twice, clearly the proof is in the pudding. It didn't work out. Well, he got Oregon rights life's vote or, uh, endorsement in in cd2 anyway i i jimmy if you're listening if you want some free advice uh yeah come back to oregon from nantucket or wherever you're at these days and uh come on our podcast come Love on the podcast have and just get involved just stay involved for the next two years and you know who knows what what the cards will will hold oregon is your oyster now. whatever race you want definitely a lot of talent there but he's gotta you gotta put in the work also so Anyway, as alluded to before, CD6 (laughs) on the Democratic side, we have a winner of Andrea Salinas. Is it Andrea or Andrea? I think it's Andrea Salinas. Andrea Salinas. Uh, Coming in second place is Carrick Flynn. This was the most expensive house race in the country, I believe. In the country. And part of that is Carrick Flynn, who is a crypto billionaire and he's got crypto billionaire friends. Well, so I, the way I read it, he's got one crypto billionaire friend. He himself is, his salary is something like 40K a year working for like oh. a nonprofit organization or something like wow. that. So he's got he's no got experience, no CV. Yeah. And it's, it's a, they're like, they're Facebook friends and Carrick Flynn was friends, Sam Bankman Fiend or something fried or something like that. They're like, Carrick was friends with this guy's brother. Yeah. And this guy says, I want to, I want to have a, a pack. And the, my, my favorite part of the story that came out where everybody, obviously Andrea Salinas, but everybody else who was running in that race, Nancy Pelosi gave, came and swooped in and gave a million dollars to Carrick Flynn. And they're like, what in the heck are the Democrats doing getting involved in a primary? Right. Spend the money on the winner after the primary in a general in what will be a competitive race. What the heck are you doing? 
that it's now since the primary come out that Sam Bankman find whatever the guy's name is has given I think it was seven or eight million dollars to like a Democrat PAC. So oh, they he he so cut a deal and a- said, hey, yeah, you got it. I'll give you a big check. You got to cut a little check to my buddy. And then he obviously was supporting his buddy Carrick Flynn with all this money, all this ad 13 time, thirteen million dollars, thirteen million dollars, and he and nothing to show for it. Came nothing. in second with thirteen thousand votes. Yeah. A for comparison, <laughs> for comparison, I got sixteen thousand. So yeah, right. <laughs> I outperformed Carrick, yeah, uh, Carrick Flynn, dollar. despite his thirteen million dollars. So I think this just goes to show. Yeah, you're right. No CV, no elected experience. You really cannot buy an election in Oregon, and I think that that is a positive to the Democratic Party. I think that's a positive to Oregon, and it just you know we were talking a little bit before the podcast where any consultant is going to come to you and say money wins races. Well, money helps, but you cannot just come in and win a race by just throwing money at it. And this to the point, I think he actually lost some support by how much money he spent because I was just reading online. People were so sick of seeing his ads because he was everywhere. And this is what money will do for you. Money will get your will get your uh, your message out there, but it doesn't really do a good job of convincing people. Like your resume, your platform, the things that you stand for, that's what's going to convince people. So money, money gets it to the people and it's necessary, but you got to have a message. You got to have a resume. You got to have a body of work to stand on. And yeah, that's I and listeners, if you're ever bored, go find his I'm using my air quotes here, quote unquote, interview with the Willamette Week. It sounds like. It sounds like a crazy uncle. Like, Willamette Week is putting very basic questions in front of him. And he says, you know what? You're just out to get me. And you don't like the the, the, the things that I'm saying. And I'm being unfairly represented. And it's like, buddy, what are you talking? Like, literally, all, all we're doing is printing your words here. Like, I'm just... Any like anytime you want to have something normal to say, so he clearly, clearly was not ready for the prime time, and I, I love to see it. I don't know who his consultants or the ad people were, but those guys they made their next three years worth of a uh, worth of yeah. funds in uh, in one candidate who was never going to win anyway. Right, and Salinas, you know, former state representative, she's been around for a long time, so who drew the district to fit herself? Not <laughs> she's a, yes. a qualified candidate and everything, but it's not like she's like the good guy. Right, 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 right. So on the Republican side, the winner is Mike Erickson. And so I have to admit, like I I pride myself on knowing things around Oregon. I didn't see this coming. I am not really familiar with Mike Erickson. I I, he's I mean he's the helicopter guy, right? So Erickson something or other. What's he do? Millionaire business guy. I know he had some kind of I thought a little more research thing, but I don't. There is a type of Ericsson aircraft. I don't know if he kind of comes from the family fortune. Obviously, Betsy's a helicopter person, but yeah, that's (laughs) we obviously again, Ron Noble, friend of the podcast, we had him on and certainly thought that he was going to end. I don't want to speak for you, but I certainly thought that he was going to end up walking away with that race. And it's um, I did as well. He he would have been a great candidate. He's obviously served his time well, both as a state representative and as uh, chief of police. For he was a cop for twenty years and yeah. kept Corvallis safe and everything like that. But well, I, I looked into Erickson. So Erickson ran for was was more involved in politics many years ago. Uh, you know, a decade or two ago. And actually, the thing that tanked his Repub- his uh, career at A-word. least temporarily was. Uh, he got his girlfriend an abortion. Yep. Can't, he, can't be doing that yeah, and lie his, about it. <laughs> right. And then lied about it. So uh, that basically tanked him in a very, you know, pro-life Republican Party 
And so it's interesting that he then comes back 10 or 20 years later and ends up taking this this uh, primary. Well, and it also was funny because so that that had been reported on since the primary, and there were a couple. Obviously, this is an anecdotal thing. Twitter is not the real world, but people were commenting on the story and it's like, "Well, I had no idea." Well, and it's like everybody kind of knew about it took that. Two every- minutes to Google it. Like- yeah, I we we went to one debate, and it's like, oh, that was the that's the abortion guy, whatever. <laughs> and it's like you you know exactly who it is that you're looking at, but he got a lot of votes from folks. At least three people on Twitter who just said, yeah, I had no idea that we're going to have to reevaluate whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Now, obviously, make your own determination, Republican voters of CD6, who you think is going to be more pro-life, him or Andre right. Salinas. But, you know, depending on how you feel about dirty laundry in the past or making misleading statements or anything like that, that could uh, that get you in hot water. Yeah. So this that that might we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Second place was Ron Noble again, who you and I both thought was going to be the favorite, former state representative, you know, great guy, been involved in the community forever. Uh, I was a little disappointed in his engagement and in his fundraising. I think if he had done more, uh, I think that he could have, he might have been able to take this. But anyway, it is what it is. I'll hope that he runs again. I do too. Great guy, friend of the pod. Uh, third place, Amy Ryan Corser, who I think just kind of, has has run for Congress before, was running on name ID. I I'm, I'm not a I don't know her personally. I like as a candidate, I'm not a huge fan. She seems to be the the you know straight right wing Trump Trump MAGA Trump candidate. MAGA yeah. yeah. And in our in the the debate that we went to, she was definitely the every every question. It feels like she turned aware of like this is what Trump would do and this is what I'm going to do. And so there's a lot of America firsting going on. In yeah. Those answers, which is, yeah, I love and, America. Don't get me wrong, but, and third place, another friend of the pod, Angela Plowhead, who is another person who put in a ton of work, total amount of respect for Angela, uh, but just not the resume had not done anything. And I think we talked about this even after she came on the podcast. It's like, she's very green, had not really, done a whole lot politically and uh you know came in a respectable third but she did that on grassroots and on hard work yeah and so props to her i think if she had taken that 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 energy and run for state rep state senate you know she would have been a shoe in yeah she in was a competitive district yeah, she is who i was alluding to earlier uh when you're kind of applying for a job that you maybe don't have the requisite cv for but again third place in a district with a a guy who came in second who is an absolute gem of a candidate and a guy who actually won who spent a good amount of money on the race mm-hmm. that shows the incredible amount of work that she put in and i certainly she's i certainly we did not ask her her age but i have to assume she's you know 40 or 45 years old or something like that she definitely has a future in oregon politics find a state house seat find a state senate seat and yep. there's going to be a ton of opportunity down the road including certainly a chance to run for a seat in congress again same advice as to jimmy crumpacker stay involved start start smaller get to know the party and i think you've got a lot of lot of opportunity a lot of opportunity so just kind of going back to the total votes in this one this is a much more 50-50 state or uh, district. So Republican 62,000 votes, Democrats 70,000. So this is compared to what 84 and 60 from 80, 88 and 59 or something 88 like and that. 59. Yeah. yeah. So this is once you include the non-affiliated voters, this is going to be basically a 50-50 district. And CD5 is going to be similar. That was 85 to 70. 
And so that's even a little bit more left-leaning, but I think both of those are going to be toss-ups. Yeah. Certainly so, winnable races with uh, – so certainly at least in CD5 with a, a real high-quality candidate on the Republican side. I, I frankly don't know Mike Erickson very well, but I know that he's he's going to put – hopefully he's going to put the work and he does have the bucks to kind of back it up and it is a winnable seat. It would so. be interesting if Salinas goes after the uh, the abortion thing. Yeah, we'll that see. That would be um, – okay, moving on to governor. So I kind of was – kind of figured a metric of – how do you define a serious candidate in something like this? And in the governor's race, I thought like, did you get more votes than the write-ins? It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a good backdoor metric. I like that. And, uh, in order and to, and so in, the Republicans had 7,000 write-ins and the Democrats had 13,000 write-ins. So on the Republican side, the number of people who got more than 7,000 votes, Bridget Barton, Christine Drazen, Bob Tiernan, Mark Thielman, Jessica Gomez, Carrie McQuiston, Stan Pulliam, Bud Pierce, and Bill Sizemore. Pretty crowded field. All those people got more than about 2% of the vote. Christine Drazen, of course, ended up winning with 22.5%, which, uh, you know, she was my candidate and I'm, I'm glad she won, but she definitely has some coalition building here because you she won this nomination with fewer than one in four votes. So hopefully she can um, build, get people together, and and get some support. Certainly, I I personally will be optimistic. I, I've heard from a number of the different candidates going to see speeches and at fundraising events and everything. That a, a, a lot of them had made a point to say something along the lines of. We need to support the nominee, whoever he or she eventually is. Even if it's not yeah. me, please work to support that uh, nominee. I also think the her Christine Drazen's total vote share is reflective of the fact that there were so many candidates running. And I think the fact that there were so many candidates running True. is reflective of the fact that it is an incredibly good year for Republicans. And there is an extremely high probability that we actually have a shot at this race higher, I would say, than any year in recent memory. I Chris Dudley in 2010 came quite close. 2010 was another good year for Republicans. I think 2022 is going to be even better. And there's a lot of folks with uh, very accomplished resumes like Christine Drazen. And there were folks who had maybe less to show on their resume like Jessica Gomez, but who were articulating a lot of different mm -hmm. points on the spectrum of what it means to be a Republican and put a lot of great points forward and talked about a lot of the reasons why Oregonians are ready for somebody to espouse limited government philosophies and try to bring businesses here to Oregon and help out on tax relief and everything like that, because this is what Oregonians want right now. So I'm I'm optimistic Christine will be able to, to certainly bring it home on our side and then go out and work and get some or a lot of unaffiliated NAVs, independents, and yep. even some Democrats to say, I am the best person to lead Oregon for the next four years. And we got that spoiler in Betsy Johnson. So we'll see how that goes. So on the Republican side, they, we have nine, nine people who I would consider serious candidates, got more votes than the write-ins. Uh, on the Democratic side, want to guess how many? There are two. Two. <laughs> two people got more than the write-in. They are Tina Kotek and Tobias Reed. Tobias Reed, the, the treasurer, Tina Kotek, Speaker of the House. And I thought this was interesting. So Tina Kotek got 56% of the vote. Reed got 32. Tobias won a lot of Eastern Oregon. There are a lot of Eastern Oregonians who are not happy with Tina Kotek and did not vote for her. I wonder if a lot of this Tobias vote goes to Betsy. And I think maybe some of it even goes to Christine. 
I don't know. Just this is me spitballing, and maybe this is wishful thinking. But it, it's it's good. Th- it's a good thing to kind of put out there. Obviously, Tina has a lot more name recognition here in the Willamette Valley between representing a seat here in Portland and obviously working in Salem and being a, a very whether you like her or dislike her or think she is Satan incarnate, like <laughs> at least one person on this podcast, she is very effective at what she does. She is extremely good at developing a vision and accomplishing that and getting everybody else to go along with them with her by hook or by crook but this is we have uh uh, we have a very good friend who is a democrat who has he's his role is to get a enough voices for democrats in rural parts of certainly oregon uh but all across the country and i I actually really want to ask him about this because he's got to be just gnashing his teeth together because i Mm -hmm. to, to your exact point I, I, maybe a lot of those folks just really like Tobias, maybe spent a lot of time out in Malheur and Douglas County and wherever and just <laughs> really whipped up a lot of votes in Eastern Oregon. Or maybe a lot of rural Democrats look at somebody like Tina Kotek and they say she cares about Portland. She cares about the city. She cares about the Willamette Valley. She does not care about 80% of the rest of the state. And to your point, I'm going to find somebody that does. And I know for sure Christine will be campaigning and Absolutely. working to get agriculture votes, rural votes, everything like that. And I, Betsy Johnson is going to be doing the same thing. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, I think Tina basically sticks to Portland, Salem, Eugene. I don't know that she goes outside the Willamette Valley to start looking for votes. I mean, yeah. maybe she does just for, for appearances. But anyway. Now to the fun stuff, state representative. So we're not going to go over every individual one of these because there's 60 state house seats and 30 Senate seats. And it's just, it's, it's a lot. That's going to be a lot. So (laughs) I did some basic math, like I said before, where I looked at total, total Democratic votes versus total Republican votes. So, you know, regardless of who won the primary, you know, what, if, if every Republican votes Republican and every Democrat votes Democrat, who would end up winning? And what is what ends up happening on the on the House side is you go from twenty three thirty seven, which is the current makeup, to twenty five thirty five. So Republicans pick up two seats in the House, and they pick up one seat in the Senate. That's just if you look at Republicans voting R, Democrats voting D. Once you throw the NAVs in, and you start looking at maybe some of these Democrats end up voting for a Republican, because we, we were just in a, in a thing the other day where they're talking about polling that very much. Dis, a lot of dissatisfaction with the status quo. Um, and so we, 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 this is the red wave that people are talking about. Oh, one of the things I was going to talk about with Tobias, and I, I forgot, Tina Kotek is basically the status quo candidate. And this is something that I saw looking through this, apart from State House and State Senate, uh, in the metro area, the status quo won, which is really kind of frustrating somewhat shocking so, yeah. yeah so tina kotek you know again the case basically the heir apparent wins within a landslide pretty massively and uh so anyway i think there, there's this urban rural divide is is going to be we're, we're seeing a little bit more of that at least in my mind where people in portland are like yeah this is great and people outside of portland are saying ah the things need to change which is strange. I would expect that Portland, with the growing homelessness and all of the 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 record homicides and just disaster Crime, that this that this use. this city has become, yeah, everything that people would be a little more likely to vote for not the establishment. But uh, as we'll see later, that was not the case. No, sorry, Bob. So anyway, if you just look at R's and D's, I think we pick up two seats in the House and one in the Senate, which is 
honestly a pretty pretty legitimate pickup. Um, if we overperform with NAVs, you know, we can we can run up those numbers a little bit. And uh, we were just talking to somebody the other day who thinks that we can take back the Senate this uh, take the Senate this this election, which yeah, I am a little bit skeptical of. But hey, let's uh, let's think positive. You know, well, and I mean, at the risk of bearing the lead, so that's you'll you'll be the. Sokol Blosser Estate Pinot Noir glass half empty. I'll be the glass half full on this one. I well, I can be I can be hopeful and also I believe realistic. Well, so. and I and certainly this is uh, Republicans in Oregon are like Lucy in the football in the Charlie Brown cartoons. Like there's a lot of instances in which we've been told there's a good chance, there's a possibility we can do this, only to have the football yanked away from us. And I, I mean, I as somebody who worked on Newt Bueller's campaign, I Newt friend of the podcast, please. Well, come back on, but also please come back to be a Republican. The <laughs> Republican Party needs sane people. We'll worry about that later on. But like, there are certainly uh, enough opportunities. But again, we're talking to folks in the biz, in the know, who are their job is to look at the numbers and call them like they see them. And there's there is reasons for optimism. There are certainly a lot of winnable seats. There is a it's a great year to be a Republican running. And for the, I mean, we we spoke ad nauseum about the fact that there are folks who kind of get into races and that are a little too big for their britches or they don't necessarily know how to put the best message out there or anything like that. But for, for good candidates who are running in the cycle, you have every reason to think that you will have a good chance to win your race. If you do the work, there's blocking and tackling and everything, but to, to have a shot at winning the Senate to have a hail Mary shot of winning the house and to have a somewhat good, maybe, half maybe better than half shot at winning the governorship i i mean that's incredible we this is june 5th right now that we're recording this we have till november 3rd or what i don't know what the tuesday and we got about six months but five months i guess at this point but it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a roller coaster of a five months for for a lot of these candidates and for you and me trying to do a podcast and talk about them right well, so just going through these results and just kind of par- cherry picking some ones that I thought were interesting. Uh, State Representative District 12, you have four people running for the Republican nomination, one for the Democrat. Based on the numbers here, this is going to be a Republican seat. The Republicans are going to win this one pretty pretty handily. Uh, Nicole DeGraff loses by 100 votes to Charlie Conrad. Charlie Conrad, 2,400. Nicole DeGraff, 2,300. And... I was, I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say, so I'll just be a little bit vague. But there's an organization called Oregon Firearms Federation, OFF, who uh, the organization needs to go away. They they are toxic to the Republican brand. They're toxic to everything good in Oregon. And they gave money to DeGraff. And there are people who pull strings and behind the scenes workers who are very upset with OFF. And they basically told her, if you take money from OFF, we will not support you. And sure enough, she lost by hundred votes. And I think she probably was the, uh, that name's familiar. I don't know her personally, but uh, I believe she won the primary, um, two years ago. So she's, she's got the name ID. She's been around and, uh, lost her primary to Mr. Charlie Conrad. Well, there you go. And so, I just, Pulling it up on the map, it, it, it looks like I'm not, uh, I, I should be 
smarter than I am as a political podcaster, but HD12 looks like it's rural parts east of Eugene and Springfield. So it does look sure. – it's what I would assume would be a more heavily Republican district. The Republicans are going to win two to one in that in that district. In the and, yeah. yeah, certainly. In the, in the general. Yeah. Leads to maybe only one person like a sacrificial lamb running and then a lot of people in a crowd of Republican primary. But to your point, this is absolutely – this is a good example of the effect of – and outside organization. Well, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. But anyway, Oregon Firearms Federation, uh, if you ever run into something by those guys, do the opposite of what they say. They are, <laughs> they're awful. They're, they're trying to be the NRA of Portland or of Oregon. And they were, they were running hit pieces on Christine Drazen because she wouldn't walk out over a gun bill. And I was like, dude, just, she's, she's our nominee. And this is relax. And she was poisoning Republican minds against our eventual nominee for governor. Yeah. And so, to, to at least make mention of this, this is the first episode that we are recording since the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas that happened I guess, at this point. It was a week ago or a week and a half ago. But this is not the point at which people are interested in hearing vast right wing crazy MAGA wingnut views on guns. Right. <laughs> there is not the appetite for that at this moment. Yeah. So, next one I thought was interesting, state representative in District 12, Brad Witt, who was drawn out of his district. This is 12. Uh, this is, no, he was, uh, I forget what his old district. They redistricted everything, and so I don't know the old districts, but. No, I'm uh, sorry, that he, he won District 12? I thought we were just. No, oh, this 19, is the same. 19. Oh, there we Dis- go. Okay. District, district, different district. Uh, I like it. Brad Witt, uh, so basically incumbent, lost this, scoring third out of three. He got 30%, Jackie Lung got 32 and Tom Anderson won with 36% of that vote. So, uh, just just kind of interesting that the, the incumbents lost so handily. Well, and, and Brad Witt was an incumbent in that in, he existed the, as a representative. Yes, different district. They redrew the lines so that he was basically in a completely different group of, of people. He also is a... Harvey Weinstein sexual assault type person and I I don't eh, throw that accusation let's, let's around say, like, let's say allegedly he he sent some he, some suggestive text messages that were basically like if you sleep with me I'll vote for your bill and uh so yeah I, I feel like it's a that's well, that's not obviously awful behavior but he didn't rape anybody. It's he didn't. Well, he tried to, but he. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I, that, 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 I think that also probably is a serious thing. But it, the case in point is that he, as a p- person, as a man in a position of power, yes. attempted to trade that power uh, for physical intimacy, which is I just something that's incredibly disturbing that that keeps happening. In the Oregon Capitol, after all the Me Too stuff from five years ago at this point, we still keep hearing stories about stuff like this. And I don't know him personally, nor do I know his politics. Is he center right? Is he or center left, far left, whatever? But I I think that Oregonians should be happy that Brad Witt did not win that primary. Yes. Uh, Democrats and Republicans. District 21, in the Republican side, you have Kevin Mannix. On the Democratic side, you have a couple different guys that I'm not familiar with. Uh, and this is basic. So this is outside of Salem or part of Salem. And this is going to be a very interesting race to watch because it's basically 50-50. You have 5,300 votes for Democrats and 5,400 for Republicans. And Kevin Mannix, who we are going to try and get on the podcast at some point, is basically Republican loyalty royalty at this point in, in the state of Oregon. If you don't If you don't know the name... He was chairman of the party. He was our nominee for governor, I believe. He has been involved in a number of ballot measures. 
you know, he, I think he was one of the chief, um, he was sued the state over certain things. I, I forget exactly. I don't know if that it was COVID restrictions. It was something else that he, that he sued the state over. But anyway, Kevin Mannix, uh, has been around for a while and done some very high level, um, things in the state of Oregon. So I think this would also be his fourth separate decade holding elected office. He's been elected mm. to something in the nineties mm-hmm. and the two thousands and the 2010s and it, what would be the 2020s. So he's to your point, he's, he's been around the block. He knows how the place works in Salem. He knows the folks that you need to know. And it should be a, should be a really interesting race. So yeah, basically 50, 50 and Mannix is a fantastic candidate. So we will see. Let's see. Uh, 26, Courtney Neron. So this is kind of the um, Sherwood area, like southwest of Portland. Courtney Neron, 5,900 votes. Republicans, 5,500. So if you look at the NAVs and potential red wave, you could see Courtney Neron, who is the incumbent, losing that race as well to a Republican. Uh, Certainly. Jason, Jason Fields won that on the Republican side. So just another interesting one to watch that is very close where the incumbent might be might be in trouble. Jason, come on our podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Let's do it. Let's see. District 30. The only reason that I talk about this one is because we're sitting in District 30. <laughs> this, is, this is my new district. Um, on the Republican side, you have Joe Everton. Uh, his opponent was Todd Morrill. I talked with both of those guys. Neither one really impressed me that much, to be honest. Mm. Uh, on the Democratic side, you have Nathan Sosa. And so this is interesting because I have known Nathan for several years now. So Nathan Sosa is a friend. And I didn't actually know he was as involved in politics as he was until he got appointed to this seat when Janine Solomon uh, got, got appointed to the, to, the, to the Senate. So uh, honestly, I think I'm going to vote for Nathan. I'm going to vote Democratic when it comes down to state representative. Interesting. All right. So, Nathan, come on the pod. Tell I, us why your party is is less bad than we make it out to be. So, <laughs> Tell us about the district here. No offense to Joe, but it, he's going to win anyway. This is 4,800 for Sosa and 3,200 for the Republicans. So it was he won by by a pretty pretty safe margin. If you just look at my fake numbers of how I. Well, they're real numbers. They're real numbers. You've got the computer in front of you. You're you're adding up primary votes to try to predict the the general, which is not accurate at all. So anyway, Sosa's going to win. Congratulations. 31. So this is Brad Witt's old district and or the majority of Brad Witt's old district. I think this is up in like Klatsk and I and. Yeah. So it's a lot of Columbia Columbia County. County. It comes, it actually has a finger that comes down to the Bethany area. So this is Mm. a little bit of uh, unincorporated Washington County, but mostly kind of a, a rural seat. And so Brian Stout won the Republican uh, nomination pretty easily and 7,000 votes for him, 5,000 for his Democratic opponent. So this is one of those things where it was redrawn. This is this is the sacrificial lamb but that the Democrats did. They they took this one and basically threw it to the Republicans. So this uh, Stout almost won in 2020. I think he was about 500 votes, 500 votes shy of close. winning outright in yeah. the general two years ago. And so now he's basically uh, a shoe in to win the the, the general. So, Brian, come on the pod. Congratulations to to Brian. District 33, we have Maxine Dexter, uh, who is the incumbent, running against Mr. Stan Bumhofer. 
Hey, <laughs> Stan is a friend who's Stan is a friend who is a sacrificial lamb here. Maxine Dexter got nine thousand votes. Stan got eight hundred and eighty. So good job, Stan, for for putting your name in there and yeah. and running a. I'm sure to be a fantastic campaign. Certainly trying to take out Maxine. So thirty four. We have Lisa Reynolds, friend of the pod, who won her general pretty handily. And uh, she's going to win that that seat pretty well. So that's going to be the Beaverton area. Nothing interesting to that other than we've had Lisa on the podcast and she was my one opponent. Of, yeah, one of us district. lost a race to her. One of us yeah. lost a race to her. Yep. 37, a friend of the pod, Eric Eastap, received 3,900 votes against the Democrat who got 7,000. So I thought this was a bit closer of a, of a, uh, a district, but... Basically four thousand to seven thousand. That's that's pretty heavily democratic. So I Well was each primary uncontested or each one was uncontested. Okay. So I mean I guess we'll see how things go. It'll probably get closer during the during the general, but um Well we'll see. Like Eric is a obviously a really good guy and yes. I'm not just saying that because he did an episode <laughs> with us. He is a good guy and has done an episode with us. Right. Anyway, good luck to Eric, but I I feel just looking at the numbers, I feel like that's gonna be a, a tricky one to beat. 38, I don't really know either of these people, but the difference between Daniel Wynn and Neelam Gupta was 14 votes on the yeah. Democratic side. Yeah, that one's going to be – that's certainly going to go to a recount. And this is one of those as Clackamas County continues to count up the ballots with their own. If listeners, if you're unaware, they've had – they had to refill out all of the ballots due to a, a printing error or reading error or whatever. And so they're having to go through and release – in batches, the the new amounts of votes, and Daniel Wynn has gotten closer and closer, and has now taken a fourteen vote lead in a race that will certainly go to a recount. But it is a um, it's like a Multnomah County versus Clackamas County type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. And it it's certainly it's a very heavily favored, heavily Democrat favored district. Yes. Although, as I'm sure, not to step on you but uh, as i'm sure you're about to mention the republican in the race is also uh, a friend of ours whom we will hopefully be able to maybe get on the podcast and alistair Furman, yes so anyway the there were thirteen thousand democratic votes and two thousand republican votes so again uh, yeah, to nick's point very heavily democratic but i just thought it was interesting there this is currently separated by 14 and there were 28 write-ins so if those write-ins those had, write-ins had could make somebody all they the difference they could have made yeah. it they could have made the difference District 40, I only mention this because the Republican Adam Baker beat Republican Daniel Tews. I don't know if that hey. name rings a bell to you, but uh, Daniel Tews can go ahead and lose as many elections as he likes. He is a proud boy and screw that guy. Or never run again for or anything, that hopefully. Also, or just get blown out every time. So, Yeah, that is, that is good news. The good, good on you for folks in HD40. Yes, agreed. 41, I only bring up because Mark Gamba won that Democratic primary and he will likely, uh, almost certainly win the general. Mark Gamba is the current mayor of uh, Milwaukee and his name has been thrown around for Congress, for, I don't know, other stuff. So, he he is a name to keep an eye on. He was the Jamie McLeod Skinner of two years ago looking to run against Kurt Schrader. Yes. And if, if, again, listeners, if you have, after you finish listening to this episode, if you have 
two minutes or something like that, he released the absolute weirdest commercial. It's just him picking his <laughs> blueberries and just going on a rant or whatever. If you have too much, just Mark Gamba blueberries. I'm sure it's going to come up. It's the goofiest thing you will ever see, but that's going to be your new state legislature and a state legislator in a few months. Yeah. District 51, James Heeb uh, won the Republican nomination and he will go ahead and win the general almost certainly. That Friend is of a, yes. I was a friend of a friend and yes. I, st- I do have to give him a call because I do want to get him on the pod because his story yes. is incredibly interesting. Uh, fellow, vet. fellow veteran involved in young Republicans. And, good dude. Yeah. Who who has a, uh, a penchant for caring about uh, mental health issues, which is something mm-hmm. that our party is super lacking in. And I'm very happy to see that there's a leader taking some of, some of this on. So again, not just saying that because I'm hoping we get him on the pod, but he does have an incredibly interesting resume and incredibly interesting future in the party. Yes. And that is also uh, Christine Drazen's old district. When Drazen stepped down to run for governor, James was appointed. And so he is running for the first time. So there we go. Anyway, that does it for the House. The Senate, you know, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in the Senate. There were a lot of like single candidates, uh, not really anything interesting to talk about. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, I think Republicans pick up one seat if you just do the R's and D's methodology and so potentially more than that i would say that's probably a minimum of one seat we pick up in the senate two in the house so that's pretty exciting love it well so that's a solid recap of our primary so far so far we've got oh we still got nonpartisan. we're still going man on to the nonpartisan races Boley, bureau of labor and industries we had sherry Helt on the podcast recently she was running for that um she got 19% of the vote, but she came in second. And the way that Oregon runs nonpartisan races, the if you, the winner gets less than 50%, if there is not a majority winner, you have a runoff between the top two. And so the top person, Christina Stevenson, got 47%. Christine, or Cherry Helt got 19 And so there will be a runoff in November between Sherry and Christina. Christina getting 47% in the primary is likely going to take that pretty easily. Uh, unfortunately, uphill battle, Sherry, but, but at we, least, yeah, at least we're putting in a, a solid, yeah, there, there's an actual good candidate running in that race. And again, Sherry Helt is very young and just certainly has a, a term in the legislature under her belt and has a, a incredible future in the, in state party politics. So I'm, I'm optimistic at, I'm uh, hopeful that this race turns out her way. And if it doesn't, I'm hopeful to see what happens next with her. Absolutely. She's an incredibly gifted candidate and legislator. Court of Appeals. Position three, Dorlene Artiga and Vance Day, who we also had on the podcast. Vance ended up with 37%, Darlene with 62 So, unfortunately, that was that was a pretty solid blowout by the incumbent. Rough tracker record so, for folks who came on to talk with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, that's goes. Republicans in Portland. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about some of the other ones. Portland City Council Commission or Position 2, Dan Ryan runs away with it. 55% of the vote. His next... His, his closest competitor was A.J. McCreary uh, with 28%. Who is a wing nut. Yeah. So, okay. I don't think that that was even a really a competitive race. I don't think she's a real... She she did her best, but Dan Ryan, I think, was the was the right choice there. Yeah. Position three, this is the one that really surprised me. Joanne Hardesty gets 43.7% of the vote. So, sorry, backing up. Dan Ryan will not have a runoff. He got 55%. So, no, no runoff for that one. Joanne Hardesty, 43.7%. Almost half of Portlanders think Joanne Hardesty is doing a good job. That blows my mind. 
I think of all the people on city council, Joanne Hardesty is actively making the city worse. You know, you've got people like Dan Ryan and Ted Wheeler who are kind of in eh, 50-50, you know, maybe they don't do a whole lot to help the city, but at least they aren't harming it. And here we have Joanne who is actively harming the city. Uh, she will have a runoff against Renee Gonzalez, who kind of split the non-hardesty vote with Vadim. They got 23 and 22% uh, respectively. And so also like Boley, I think this one, we're probably going to see hardesty get re reelected unless uh, Rene can get all of Vadim's votes. Yes, I'd, seems... I'd be curious for that one. I think that every single person who voted against Joanne Hardesty is going to continue to vote against Joanne Hardesty. I think yes. every one of those folks recognizes that this is the wrong direction for the city of Portland. And I, I 43%. think 43%. I'm she looking at this 43. race through rose colored glasses, I admit, or in this case, a state Pinot Noir. The Soko yes. Blosser folks are going to think we're advertising for them. This just happens to be the bottle of wine that you open. <laughs> But I'm looking through Pinot Noir colored glasses at this race and maybe I'm, you know, may, maybe we'll see. Maybe this is 60, 40 or 70, 30 or something like that. But Rene is, uh, uh, he is a Democrat. So it's, mm -hmm. it's tough for me to say this about another, uh, somebody who's not in my own party. I wish we had a Republican running in this race, but Rene is a qualified credible, serious candidate who would do wonders for the city council. Absolutely. And the direction that the city is going in, which is, spoiler alert, the wrong one, if you've not listened to any of the other episodes <laughs> we've ever done about anything. But I will be uh, hopeful that, um, that, that Renee's got a shot in this race. Going real quick to Metro because nobody cares about Metro except for me, probably. <laughs> uh, Metro Council President Lynn Peterson will win re-election without a runoff at 53.5%. Her next highest, her biggest challenger was Alyssa, Alyssa Pishka. Uh, Alyssa was my pick. I got to know her a little bit on the campaign trail. I thought she would have been a really good job. She got all the endorsements from Portland Business Alliance, the Beaverton Chamber, Washington County Chamber, um, Oregonian. So there was a big push to get her elected. Ended up with 32%. And so there will not even be a runoff. Lynn Peterson, who again, I think is driving this, this ship in the absolute wrong direction, gets reelected. This is what I kind of alluded to earlier is people are just the, the citizens of the Portland metro area were like, you know what? I like what's going on in this city, which blows my mind that Joanne Hardesty can get 44%, 43.5%, that Lynn Peterson gets 53%. And then if we look at, um, the, the Multnomah County Commission, it's basically the same thing. It's status quo. That's what that's what won in these nonpartisan races. And so this is what I'm a little bit worried about as far as the red wave goes. I was expecting, I mean, this is one of the reasons I ran for Metro was I was expecting that people are frustrated, that people see all of the this this city going to hell in a handbasket and they that they would vote for people who are different. At least arrest the descend exactly. into hell. Like, let's get there slower. Anything that's better than this. Like, what right. are we doing? <laughs> uh, Multnomah County Commissioner, we have Jessica Vega-Peterson and Sharon Mirren will go to a runoff in November. Neither one got 50%. But they're both Multnomah County Commissioners. Yeah. So, Deborah Kafoy, I guess, is not rerunning. And so, you have Commissioner 1 and Commissioner 2 running for chair, which is, again, the status quo. The Ask kind mine. of the, the person who is really going to go in and shake things up, Sharia Mayfield, ended up in third place. And so she will not be on the ballot in November. She was the outsider who was trying to trying to change things and actually like fix the system. Very frustrating to me. Uh, if you look at um, Washington County, same kind of thing. You had um, 
Beach Pace lost to uh, Catherine Harrington. Catherine Harrington, yeah. yeah. Catherine Harrington, again, status quo candidate, reelected. Like, yeah. hey, things are going great. Why? Why? And even even Beach, Beach is is a Democrat. You know, a little bit more business friendly, and but people in Washington County said, you know what, things rubber are rubber stamp. Things, things are going, are going okay. great. And I don't know Clackamas County all that well, but the one the one race that I was interested in was uh, Commissioner Position Five. Uh, ben West is a Republican. He's a, a really good guy, really good candidate. Uh, he's going to come in second with thirty six percent. It looks like Sonia Fisher, who is the incumbent, has forty eight percent, and so being shy of fifty. There, there looks like there will be a runoff between Sonia and Ben in November. Although this is being Clackamas County and some of the nonsense that was going on there, we will see. It, Who it knows? Is, it is entirely possible that she inches her way above fifty percent by the time that all the ballots are counted. Yeah, we'll see. I, ben, Ben is a great candidate, and we'll certainly see if we can um, have a have a, a runoff between the two of them in November. Yeah. So, what do you think? That's all I had. I wanted to talk about. Anything else you want to talk about before we close this out? No, I think it's it's going to be certainly a lot of really interesting races to keep our eyes on. I, it's it's great for us, for folks in the podcasting business on the right side of the aisle, because there's going to be a lot of good guests that I want to get on and talk to and hear their stories and learn about why they think they're going to be good in their races. But if you are, uh, we, we ended a little bit on a sour note. If you're a Republican in Oregon who does not live in Multnomah or Washington County, there's a lot of reasons for optimism. If mm-hmm. you do, it's probably time. Oregon City looks real nice. Milwaukee. <laughs> He looks real nice. Lake Oswego is real nice. Just you can just edge your way out a little bit of Multnomah and Washington counties. Yeah, but uh, but we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. But it um, it's going to be uh, a real interesting five months until November. Yep, I think CD five and CD six are basically toss ups. They both lean Democratic, but you know this is a red year. We'll see. I think on the state uh, House and Senate. I already said this a couple of times. I think Republicans pick up two in the House and one in the Senate at a minimum, depending on how the NAVs vote and if we get any flips. I think with Betsy Johnson as a spoiler, I think we have a really good shot at a Republican governor. Uh, but the disappointing thing is when you look at these nonpartisan races, the Portland metro region, and I mean all three counties, voted for the status quo, which I was very disappointed in, not just because I won my or I lost my race, but just in general, that people who are driving the city into the ground all got reelected. So I would assume anybody who's listening to this podcast is equally perturbed at that being the case. Folks, please do us a favor. Write to us. Tell us your stories. I, this still, this is, we've been doing this for four years. The favorite part mm-hmm. of my time doing this podcast, we got an email from a gal. I think it was in Oregon City who said, I'm going to start showing up to like my county budget committee meetings mm-hmm. because of listening to you guys and the drive to get involved. That's the, I don't know how much anybody who listens to this cares about making my day, but that was <laughs> a thing that made my day to the point that that was two years ago. And I still tell the story that said, the reason we do this is to encourage folks to pick up a pen, pick up an email, go to go to see your county, go see your state representative, go get involved. There's a lot of reasons to go and do that and continue to work to get good things done. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a bum you see on the street, tell the clerk at the sandwich shop, whatever it is that you got to do, be willing to be vocal about some of these things because Oregon and especially where, you know, James, you live here in Hillsborough where we're recording this episode. I live in with my wife in Southeast Portland. 
things are going in the wrong direction, and that is a nonpartisan issue. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a Republican to say the roads are bad. You don't have to be a Republican to say there's too many homeless encampments. You don't have to be a Republican to say fentanyl is a serious thing or mental health is a serious thing or homicides are a serious thing or any of these things that we see on a day-to-day basis that Portland voters have just essentially accepted as fact. And there's a lot of work that can be done, but there's a lot of positive outcomes that we can observe soon from that work. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. And with that, we have gone way over time. And so, listeners, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.